Hello everyone and welcome to the Thriving Dry Eye Podcast. I am your host, Laura. I suffered a chemical eye injury resulting in dry eye and I created this platform to give hope to those with dry eye. I will talk to amazing people who will tell their dry eye stories and spotlight health professionals who will promote wellness of the mind and body. This podcast is for you to give hope to those with dry eye. As a disclaimer, this podcast contains general information about dry eye and other medical conditions and is for educational purposes and inspiration only. Thriving Dry Eye LLC is not responsible or liable for the accuracy of information contained in this podcast. The information contained in this episode is the personal views of the hosts and guests respectively. This podcast is not meant to replace the advice of your healthcare provider and is not intended to prescribe, prevent, treat, or diagnose disease. Listeners acknowledge that the information contained does not constitute professional advice from the host or guest speaker. By listening to this podcast, you assume all risks. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Thriving Dry Eye Podcast. I'm so excited today to have you here and to be talking to Dr. Ada No. Hi, Dr. Ada. Hi. Thanks How for having you? me. Yes. Thank you for being here. Oh, I'm doing great. Oh, good. Thank you. All right. So can you tell me and all the listeners a little bit about you? Sure. So my name's Dr. Ada No, and I practice in Little Rock, Arkansas. I opened up my practice, which focuses solely on the treatment of dry eye disease. So I do not have any like primary care aspects to my practice. I only do dry eye disease all day. That's all I do. That's all I can help you with. (laughs) Um, So I relocated here about a year ago from Philadelphia, where I did practice in a primary care setting doing full service optometry. Um, and we also had a dry eye, you know, concentration or focus there. So I learned a lot of my skills or clinical practice there. And I realized, wow, I'm really burned out in optometry. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. So this was kind of my pivot to try to give myself the life that I want to um, and feel rewarded and happy to come into work every day. So came about my practice, which is called No Eyes, and my tagline is Left Behind, because I feel like a lot of patients who end up here are not heard and are kind of like swept or like, yep, that's normal. Yep, that's just what happens and don't get heard. Absolutely. And I think that is such a common story with a lot of people that I've talked to or have seen on the Facebook forums. Um, what brought you to Little Rock? <laughs> Good question. So my little sister relocated here. She came about three years ago. So she and I are super close. And as we get closer to thinking about wanting children, we wanted to be close by. Then the next question is always, well, why did she move here? And I'm like, no real good answer. But uh, here we are. That's so wonderful. But she, um, she's a dentist uh, in a pediatric setting in the Little Rock area. That's so sweet. Why did you fall in love with dry eye disease? 
So it a little bit maybe was a selfish reason, which is just my honest truth, because I have a moderate amount of dry eye disease. So I actually started feeling my symptoms after school, maybe around 30, probably around the age of 30. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm over 30 years old. <laughs> but I would just have these mornings. <laughs> I would have these mornings where I would wake up and my eyes literally felt on fire. Like, and it would affect my mental state or how I, you know, when my eyes weren't feeling good, I'm using that to see, to do everything. And that sensation just wasn't, it's not uh, easy to have a great day when your eyes feel terrible. It's just not because you're using them all the time. So I'm like, man, I'm not old. I don't have any autoimmune diseases. I don't eat like a terrible diet. I am on the computer for work, but it's also, you know, interacting with patients. I don't have a desk job where I'm sitting. So I'm like, man, this like, this is tough. And I don't have history of any kind of eye surgery. And I'm like, that kind of was my interest or like, well, if I'm feeling this, like how, how do I think I'm going to feel when I'm 40, 50, 60, 70? You know what I mean? Or other people who have a lot more severe risk factors or their whole body's inflamed. So I was thankful that, you know, my previous practice partner, he kind of was the driving force. He was the one that was interested in dry eye and I kind of followed suit because we were at the same practice. So I evolved and adapted. And then I was like, man, this is a very, very underserved population. Yeah. And interestingly, I think, I don't know where I saw this stat, but it said that dry eye disease is actually the number one reason why people go to their eye care provider. That doesn't mean that it's answered or taken care of, but that's the reason why they go. Whether or not they know it, you know, it's, if it's contact lens discomfort or my vision's changing or fluctuating. I don't know what study, I don't know what group, but I was like, man, that is interesting. And how many providers are really actually treating the disease process or talking to their patients about it. Exactly. And that's so true. I mean, I think even about my husband, like sometimes he's taking his contacts out because they're bothering him and, you know, and like I, there's little signs like that where you're right. I feel like a lot of people have these symptoms because dry eye isn't just like your eyes feel dry. There's so many other things that symptoms Correct. that you can be having. And right. so when you go to the eye doctor and they're evaluating, you know, hopefully they're seeing these things, but like, you know, um, and a lot of patients know is that maybe they're not hitting the right things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I think I wish it wasn't this way, but I feel like unless a patient really advocates or fights for it or has a practitioner who's actually doing extra tests. Like if a patient came in and is like, my contacts bothering me, what the clinician's probably going to do is change the type of contact. Mm -hmm. But right. If there's an underlying dry eye disease, it doesn't matter what contact you put on there. It might symptomatically make the patient feel better, but it doesn't mean the disease process isn't there. It might be mild. It might not be that bad. It doesn't bother them, but it has started. Yeah. Wow. That is Definitely ringing a bell, even in my, in my story, even though I know that I have dry eye. I mean, when I go and say, mm -hmm. I really, really, really want to wear contacts again, it's, well, let's just try a new one, mm -hmm. see if it works. And maybe it makes it a little bit better. Maybe it doesn't, but yeah, yep. very interesting. Yep. 
Can you tell me how your practice is a little bit different from other places? Sure. So I think the thing that stands out about my practice is that the whole clinic is dedicated only to dry eye disease. So that means that I eat, sleep, breathe, dry eye disease, and that's it. So I am not the best at glaucoma. Do not come to me for your retinal problems. I'm not going to be the best at it, and I'm not going <laughs> to pretend to be. But it really has allowed me to become obsessed with dry eye disease. And when I have that patient that is difficult, that I'm not giving them the relief that I need, that's my new motivation. Because I'm like, no, I am not going to have a patient that's not going to have at least some kind of relief. I think another thing that sets my practice apart is really the time and the personal connection that I make with each patient. Like I said before, my clinic's only six months old, so it is literally my baby. I have been answering my own phones until last week when I finally hired some help. Oh, wow. That's a receptionist. Amazing. Yeah. So the patient, I know. <laughs> so the, it's personal from, you know, as soon as the patient calls, it's like, hi, yep, it's me. You're going to be seeing me. Um, and then the other thing that I, I, I think I um, pride myself on or really try to make sure that I do is that first first appointment with me because I a lot like one and a half to two hours, depending on the patient. Because first, I think a lot of dry patients just want to be heard. So sometimes it's the patient talking for 15 minutes, telling me, you know, all the things that they've tried when it started. But those are all things that I do want to know. Mm -hmm. How long has it been going on? What have you tried? I don't want to give them things that we already know fail, you know? Right. So that and then all the testing that I do. And then I think the patient education is really I try to make it shorter. I can't. I cannot do a new patient consult in under an hour. There's no way. There's just no way because you have to explain to them because these are things that they've probably not been privy to. Like you, maybe the people listening to this podcast are an anomaly, right? You're literally listening to a podcast about dry eye, (laughs) but, um, like my Bohmian glands, right? They're like, well, what is that? Where are these glands? I've never heard of this before. Like, those kinds of things. So I, some of my patients are a little bit more educated or they've, they've done their research and know, but I treat everyone as if you know nothing, because I want to make sure that the patient and I are on the same page. So we're going to talk about everything, even if you already know, so that we're setting our foundation of why we're having this treatment program and why we're attacking it in this way. That's wonderful. I, can imagine that your patients are just so thankful when they leave to have all of the information, all of the testing, all of the education to fill in the gaps that they have and all the questions I'm sure that have been in their mind Mm -hmm. for a very long time. You know, I remember like researching on my phone late at night, like not being able to sleep, trying to find the answers, just wanting the answers. So I can imagine how awesome it is for your patients to feel. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think that's why it does get emotional because it's, it's years of frustration that's like pent up and, and I alluded to this a little bit before, but if you don't suffer from dry eye disease, you don't understand how bad it is for that person. You just don't, you can't. Um, So I think it's hard for other people in their life to be that empathetic because they don't understand, you know, they're sick of hearing that your eyes are dry, put drops in it. Like what, what do you want me to do? You know, things like that. And so that's, 
it's not supportive. It doesn't make the patient feel good. No. Or, and I think and, it's, or heard. Right. I think it's unique too that you have dry disease yourself. Um, I had, and, you yes. know, thinking about my practice, I had a concussion. Mm-hmm. What has it been like? Um, it was in 2016. And um, I, definitely had some like traumatic brain injury symptoms afterward. And mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. luckily I was able to get through that and it took quite a bit of time, but I'm able to tell that story yeah. to my patients. And I, you know, I always mm-hmm. tell them like, I, maybe you don't want to hear this. It does take time, but you can get to the other mm-hmm. side. And so when you're speaking to a provider mm-hmm. who has been through a similar situation or has what you have, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of trust mm-hmm. that goes into that. And it's really invaluable, honestly. Yes. I'm like, I am happy to relate to you, but I wish that neither of us had this. And now mine is, you know, pretty under control. But I started out with trying to wear contacts and, you know, I was in primary care. I had access to every single brand new, everything, everything, everything I've tried it. So when a new one would come out and the rep would be promising me the world, I'm going to try it. And none, I mean, I, and still I have a hard time with contact lens tolerance. So I usually wear my glasses. Now in my glasses, I don't have days. They're far and few between that. My eyes don't feel good. But when I get the contacts in, it's still like maybe I can get six on a great day, eight hours. And then I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't want this. Exactly. um, Yeah, that's totally me. You know, you get, (laughs) you get some hours and then, mm -hmm. and then for me, the next day I pay for it. It's like, it's like drinking too much. You know, you're like, you always pay for it. It's, it truly is not worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, No, no. About, so thinking about treatment, because, you know, like you said, everybody goes to Mm -hmm. eye drops right away. Put the drops in your eyes. Mm -hmm. You should feel better. And I think a lot of people realize quickly it doesn't do everything that they want them to. So what are some of the treatment plans that you find to be really helpful for your patients? Good question. So I think that one thing that I want to say is that eye drop, different types of eye drops, right? Number one, over-the-counter lubricating eye drops, artificial tears. If you follow me on Instagram, that's like one of the things that I really try to like ride home is that there's no therapeutic effect in that medicine. It's not medicine. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, that's not a treatment plan. That is a symptomatic thing. So when I see people posting, this is my opinion. Sure. When I see people saying like, try this drop, try this drop, try this drop. I'm like, though, that doesn't have any medicine in it. It's not, it's the same as every other drop. It's not going to fix you. Mm-hmm. And if you have symptomatic relief, it's again, your symptoms are relieved, but your underlying root cause of that disease is still there. You're not treating the disease. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's a passion point of mine. No. So I have to bring that up. No, that's wonderful. Um, I think so much of what I do for the patient goes off of that first appointment. So like, it depends. And I know that that's a terrible answer, but it truly does because I'm going to see, is it, you know, most of the time it is my bone gland dysfunction, but there's tears, there's ranges. Is it 
is it MGD that has more inflammation or is it because those glands are so blocked up? How blocked up is it? Are they having any expression, no expression? What's the quality of their oil? So if I had to say one thing that the last thing that I would ever give up, if someone was coming to steal all of my, my options, the thing that I would hold on to is my IPL. Because I think that that is like, I mean, it's the only thing that can kill inflammation of your meibomian glands. That it, that's it. And there's almost always some kind of underlying inflammatory factor. Hmm. Yes. Um, when we talk about like eye drops, like um, even prescription ones or autologous serum or PRP, those things can help with inflammation of your eyeball, right? Because the drop is going onto your eyeball, but it, it doesn't make any scientific sense. Your meibomian gland, that oil's not absorbing it through the lid to get to the meibomian gland. Like you have to kill. So I, my patients are always like, yeah, that's crazy. Cause I'm like, we've been treating, targeting the eyeball. You've been treating, trying to help the eyeball because that's where you feel the symptoms. But if you fix the lid where the oil glands live, that's going to come on to the eyeball and then give that relief. So I think that that's a common thing. Cause I'm like, so do you, you know, then I quiz them and it's, it's silly, but I'm like, okay, so does, X drop, does that um, change the quality of your oil? Does it kill inflammation of your lid when the drop's going on the eyeball? And they're like, no. And I'm like, so that's why these treatments have not worked for you. Like, it just makes so much sense when you break it down into like, why are we doing this versus let's just throw everything at it and see what sticks. Wow. That, <laughs> I feel so dumb, but it makes total sense. <laughs> no, I mean, no. I, 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 was total trying, sense. I was trying to find, I I saw it earlier and now I can't find it, but you said something to the effect that, um, talking about the, my, my Bobian glands that, you know, people, people, doctors could look at them and say, they, they look pretty good, right? They look pretty good now. Maybe you don't need like mm -hmm. IPL or something like that, but as time goes on, right? They're not going to get better. They're only going to get worse. And they never, <laughs> they never get better. I mean, they never get better on their own. Right. And that was really interesting to me because the, the doctor that I saw had looked and said it, it didn't look that bad. There were a couple areas and he had kind of mentioned like, mm -hmm. we could do something mm -hmm. if you want to, but like, man, I should have done something then, you know, because I no idea that obviously yeah. over time, things are probably just getting worse. Yeah. So I think like one of the things that I really try to never, and I don't like to use all inclusive words like never, but I really try to never say to my patients is it's not that bad because that belittles that patient. That's not what they feel. That's not why they came to see me. If it wasn't that bad, they wouldn't be here. So sometimes, you know, I'll try to be positive and say, I've seen worse, you know, and we've been able to help them get some relief, but I don't, I really try to never say it's not that bad. Like that's terrible, but yeah, it comes like every patient is different just because of their lifestyle, what they're, what they do for occupation, like where do they live? What do they eat? All kinds of different things. But yeah, the, the other thing, even if let's say a doctor's doing myography, right? Which I don't even think that many eye doctors are doing that. Yeah. Like how many, 
How many eye doctors did you go to before myography was done for you? Well, I, I did, I went to two different doctors. Well, actually just one. And then I went to another one. So I was like not messing around. (laughs) I mean, I, it was a lot of time in between, you know, I went to a doctor initially and then because Mm -hmm. of COVID and I was super depressed, Uh I didn't see another doctor for maybe six months. So there was a lot of time in between. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and actually I'm not quite sure that we did the, my biography is that how you say it biography mm-hmm. yeah i don't think mm-hmm. we did that until the second time i went which was another okay. s- maybe 6 months later so done an yeah. initial so appointment so that's a year later yeah yeah hmm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very and wild the thing about my biography like it it does tell us information of course but there's also a difference between structure and function Okay, you can have biography that looks great, like you have a ton of glands and they're really long and they look great, but it does not show us the function. So a person can have beautiful gland structure and still feel terrible because the function of those glands isn't good, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, most of my patients, their glands do not look beautiful, but I always tell them, even if you have any, right? If you have four to six viable glands, you can have symptomatic relief, okay? Mm -hmm. So we only need four to six. I have a few patients that are not four to six glands, but the vast majority. So I'm like, listen, these glands, you don't have that many, but if we could make them work the best that they can, right? If perfect is a hundred, but we can't get a hundred because your glands 50%. Mm -hmm. But if we can get that full 50% versus right now, this much of it's working for you, that's still going to be an improvement for that patient. So sometimes patients like, can we, can we do it again? Can we check my, my biography? And I'm like, we can, but your structure is probably going to be the same. But that does not mean your function is. You may feel different, but your scans may look exactly the same. So I don't usually try to redo my biography unless the patient's really asking for it because it's there's a difference, right? Mm-hmm. Function is if I'm squeezing on their glands and I'm seeing that oil or none, mm-hmm. you know, which they're so backed up, that's more looking at the function. Yeah. Wow. That is just so wild. It's so wild. Right, that's, I why, that's why I love this. Wild. I mean, yes. like, this is the information that, like, I, everybody wants to hear, right? I mean, this is so great. Thank you. Uh, yes. Oh, it's my pleasure. If I could tell someone as a patient who's listening to this podcast, okay, I know that my eye doctor's not not giving me answers, really, or helping me. What are the things that you want to call around to ask, right? Or even on a website, what do they have? I think that the, I do not think that, that anybody can effectively treat dry eye disease without doing a dry eye workup. There's just no way because you don't know what the problem is for sure. Right. So I tell my patients, if your arm is broken and I put a cast on your foot, is that going to help you? No. That's not going to help you, but that's the same thing as someone treating the aqueous aqueous deficiency when you have MGD. It, you don't think it's as crazy because they're right on top of each other, they're connected, but that's how ridiculous it is to me. So you don't know that it is what it is without doing a workup. So for me, if I had to pick tests to ask for, it would be my biography, 
like T-Bot matters, but that doesn't always line up. Like I would take my biography and then my own when I'm looking at what that oil looks like when it's coming out. Mm. So that, different practitioners do different things. Some people do. So the my biography will Sorry, show the the oils or structure. Do you, the structure. It'll only so, show structure. So how do you get the oil mm -hmm. out or how do you express to assess that? Yeah. The function. Yeah. So everyone may do this differently. And that's another thing that I want to say is that no practitioner is right or wrong. Like there's no whole, and even my, what I'm saying, my biography, that's my opinion. That's how I treat it. So I do use forceps and in a perfect, beautiful working meibomian gland biome, okay, every time you blink, that's the perfect amount of pressure that's supposed to make these oil glands spray, okay? A blink is not that much pressure. Mm -hmm. So I take forceps and I numb the patient's eye and then I, I squeeze so gently. I don't even like to call it a squeeze. I call it a rub. Like you're going to feel this little rub because I want to know when the patient blinks, is their oil coming out? Okay. So that's not that much force. If I squeeze really gently and there's nothing coming out, I don't, I never squeeze hard because I already know the oil's not getting there. Yeah. So that's how I look to say, okay, is there oil coming out? If it is, how, how much and what does the oil look like? Cause sometimes it, blah, it's usually not looking great. Right. And then, right. So you have IPL, which are there, Mm -hmm. different um devices for IPL or is IPL just IPL No, there's different devices for IPL. Okay. All right, that's good to know. And so, all right, so you want the the workup and then what are some possible treatment modalities that you could ask them on the phone, like, do you have X, Y, and Z that, you know, if they're doing the workup, great, but, you know, you hope that they would have these other modalities that may help to treat the problem. Yeah. So when someone calls for a workup, I would, I personally would ask for if they do mybography because 85% of dry eye disease is mybomian gland dysfunction. So probably more often than not, you probably have MGD. So mm -hmm. we need to take a look at those glands. So that's done by mybography. Mm -hmm. The other test I really think is up to the practitioner. Mm -hmm. I know I don't do every single dry eye test because it doesn't change what I'm going to do for the patient. We're going to work on all of it. But I don't think that anyone's wrong if they, I don't do inflammatory. I don't do MMP9. Other people do and swear by it. Mm -hmm. That's not what I do. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they're wrong or I'm wrong. That's just preference. So I think to attack my bombing gland dysfunction in two different ways. Number one is, I, do you have IPL or someone that you refer to for IPL? Mm -hmm. What IPL device do they have? And the person on the phone is going to be like, who is this person? Exactly. <laughs> right? Because you're an educated consumer now. Yes. You know what you're looking for because you don't want to waste your time. Right. right? Um, and then if they have some kind of mybomian gland expression that has a thermal underlying. So that could be tear care, lipoflow. Um, I do it through radio frequency for opinions that I, I think that it works the best, but that's my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, mybaflow, those are all like hitting it from the thermal side. So I do 
personally feel like patients have better relief if you're hitting the inflammation as well as the blockages. That's like the power punch, punch, double punch to get that, that problem settled down. Yeah. Now in average, um, for your patients, um, how often are they coming in to get those treatments to keep things going? On average, if they can, every two weeks. We can, you know, preferably definitely once every four, but we can stretch it to every six because my page, some of my patients come from, you know, several hours away. Sometimes it's hard for them to get here, but I really try to plan things ahead. And at some point I need to be better about my boundaries, but like I'll stay late for my patients that are coming really far or I'll occasionally come in on Saturdays to see them because they have to take a day off of work every time they come to see me. And I know that they're coming to see me at least five times. That's half their vacation days. Like I can't do that to them. So, um, and you know, we have that discussion from the jump, like this is a commitment and it's okay. I never want a patient to do things for me. My feelings are not hurt. This is about you and what you want for yourself. So I'm always so transparent. Like these are just the options. I want you to be educated on what we could do or what options that are out there. I'm happy to help you with that journey. But if you don't want to do anything, that's okay. That's up to you, mm-hmm. you know, but I can't sleep at nighttime, not having told the patient, Hey, your glands are dying. If the patient chooses to do nothing, I did what I was supposed to. I'm going to bed. Well, <laughs> you know, right? That's Absolutely. up to them. I can't make that decision. Yeah. And then, so um... I do try to get the patient like motivated, you know, or, and excited, um, you know, I always try to bring 100% energy, especially for that first treatment, because they're like, I'm excited to get this rolling and get it under control. Yeah. And so then you find in those, like you said, kind of five treatments. And then after that, is there a maintenance? Mostly, yes. <laughs> I want to talk like general, because of course, it depends on the person. Sure, sure. Generally, yes. But I don't like to give patients too many options, but I want them to make their own decisions at the same time, Mm -hmm. right? If I'm like, do you want to do this test and this test and this test and this test? I don't ask them that. I just do them all, okay? Because we need all those tests. Right. But I think I I used to assume things of patients, which is not the right thing for me to do. And that's shame on me. And I have tried to correct my way. So I used to assume once patients graduated from their like initial series, whatever we find, and they're doing better, you know, 50% reduction in symptoms, they're happy. And I was like, okay, so then just call me when it starts to bother you again. That's what I used to say to them. And one patient looked at me and said, I was in dry eye hell for seven, eight years. Why would I ever wait for that disease to come back and affect me again? She said, I'm coming in every three months, whether or not I feel anything, I don't care. I want a booster treatment. And I was like, man, She's right. Why would I want my patients to go back to that? So I offer to the patients, you know, if you want to, we, I, we can see you every three months and we can do a booster or you can let me know when it starts to bother you and we can get you in for that. Yeah. That's up to the patient. Right. No, that's super powerful. It's so but true. But that was though. like, a, you know, it is. And it's crazy because I, re- I really learn things from my patients or how to, I don't know, be more empathetic and compassionate too. And Just because I think one way doesn't mean that everybody thinks that way. So I'm humbled a lot of times from my patients. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Now let's talk about you a little bit. What do you feel like helped turn a corner in your dry eye journey? Okay. So this is very interesting, but where I used to work when I was in the primary care setting, we really only had like one modality. And this modality that I'll speak of in general terms has one size. We'll say that. Okay. So there's one size. So every single patient is treated in the exact same mechanism. So even looking at mine, and your eyes, right? I'm Korean. My eyes are different from your eyes, but even yours and your husband's or your siblings, your eyes are different shape. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I'm thinking about it, I'm like, so if people's eyes are different shape, why are we treating everyone's eyes in the same mechanism? That doesn't make sense to me. Again, when I'm breaking it down to that, like foundational level, even mechanically, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So this specific kind couldn't be done on me because of anatomical constriction. So I was like, wow, great. I work at this practice and I help people with dry eye every day, but I can't even help myself with this. Like that was terrible, right? Horrible. (laughs) Terrible. So yes, because I'm giving other people relief, but I can't even help myself. But um, Mm -hmm. for me, IPL really was the game changer. Um, You know, I did my initial series set and then I give myself boosters. I try to stay on it, but that has helped. That's all that I do. I don't do any drops. I don't do any lubricating drops. That's all that I have to do to keep my stuff under control, you know, and in full transparency, I still have a difficult time with contact lens wear. So I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that I'm, that I have it great. I still feel it, but it's much less of the time. Um, but I also take my high quality omega-3 every single day because when I stop taking it, I feel it. Yes. And me, I mean, uh, I got, you know, it's interesting when I was pregnant, I found Mm -hmm. that like my, I didn't have dry, like Mm -hmm. I wasn't having the symptoms at all. And Mm -hmm. so I got out of this pattern Mm -hmm. of taking my omega-3s or my fish oil and then after I had her, a couple of weeks went by and I was like, oh my gosh, it's getting it's getting bad again. And I realized I wasn't doing that. So then yeah. I started taking the mm-hmm. um the fish oil that I had and and things started I started finding some relief again. So um, but I have learned that mm-hmm. you really need a high quality. It needs to be the triglyceride form. Um I don't know. Can you tell us a little bit more about like a really good or like what are the characteristics of a good quality fish oil or a, sorry, omega-3 because some people are um, vegan and I don't know how that, Mm -hmm. you know, they have to find something different. Yeah. So I think um, if I have two soap boxes that I could be on, one of them is that lubricating drops is not a treatment. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't fix anything. And my second one is omega, like the importance or how much omega-3 fish oil can do for you. So I'm not going to speak to the one that I specifically recommend. I will talk about general things that you want to look for, but you hit the nail on the head. I wish I could put a graphic here. If you somehow can get the graphic here, I would love that. Uh-huh. So Many patients will come into my practice and be like, my doctor told me to be on omega-3 and I took it and it and it didn't do anything. And I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about what omega-3 because that makes a world of a difference. So do not say that they don't help you unless you've actually tried a good one. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, it has to be triglyceride formulated. To 
to simplify it, um, very few omega-3 fish oil pills are triglyceride formulated. If it doesn't say specifically triglyceride formulated, you can probably bet that it's not. Mm-hmm. The biggest difference is the percent of absorption because of how that omega is formulated. So ethyl ester, you only absorb about 20 to 30% of whatever's on that bottle. Okay. Whereas triglyceride, your body is actually absorbing 80 to 90%. So it's not the same. Both of them can say, let's say they both bottle say a hundred milligrams, but your body is not absorbing the right amount mm-hmm. or the same amount. I'm sorry. Um, so when you're looking at what type of omega to take, you want it in triglyceride form, you want the total omega and there's lots of different numbers on there. So you want to look at total omega and then do my little calculation for the 80 to 90% absorb to be 2000 milligrams of omega-3. That's what you need in your system. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to make sure that it's the best, 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 you need the ratio of the EHA to DPA to be three to one. That's like the best. It's hard to find if you can get two to one, that's better than nothing. But sometimes my patients, you know, I'll say, I'm not saying you have to take this omega. I'm happy to look at the one that you're taking. Let me take a look and I'll tell you what's good or bad about it. But I'll tell you so far, I have had maybe one that's kind of close. So I'm like, okay, if you want to be on that, that's fine. But most of the time I'm like, this is a foundational thing. Like if you're doing any in-office treatments, if you're my bombing glands do not have healthy oil to pull from. You are wasting your money because that's, it's like changing your um, oil change with dirty oil. There's only dirty oil in there. It's not going to get cleaned up. So I usually tell people, if you're not going to be on a good omega-3, like we just shouldn't do any of any of these things because it's not going to work. Yeah. No. And I, you know, you go to, you go to these big box stores and you see these like big bottles of the, the fish oil. And you're like, yes, it's like super cheap and yeah. I can take so many. <laughs> and like, it's so right. true though. I mean, if you're taking something, you're only absorbing what 20%, it's a complete waste of money. Yeah. You know, and you're it's not going to get the relief. Or you have to take like, or you're taking 20 pills a day. Like, mm-hmm. And there's so much more to go into omegas, but about like how the body absorbs it and things like that. But if you have to take more than three pills at one time, it starts to affect actually what you're absorbing. So when it's more than three, you do have to space them out or else you're not getting that full concentration. So it, you know, the specific brand formulated all of these things targeted for dry eye disease. So, Mm -hmm. um, it, and has studies to back it up, blah, blah, blah. But Yes. I'm very passionate about the omega. That's one of my like inpatient education. We probably spent 10 minutes talking about the difference in omegas. Wow. That's really amazing. Do you find, because I've also heard that for the body, it's really important for the omegas to have uh, a balance. Do you have any information about that? Like the omega-6 with the nine versus the three and... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um. I probably can't speak on it as scientifically as maybe you would like me to, but omega-6 you do have to be careful with because it can be pro-inflammatory. So in certain pathways on how your body breaks it down, it can be anti-inflammatory, but if it's not done in the right way or the right proportions, it becomes pro-inflammatory, which is not what you want. No, no. Um, Oh, speaking about inflammatory, can you give a couple dietary tips that you find to be helpful for your patients? Because I know that there's so many inflammatory foods out there that people are eating. And I mean, there's 
there's so much of the plenty out there. And I feel like in my journey, changing my diet was so important. Mm-hmm. 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 So I can speak on that, but I also have to disclaim that this is hypocritical because I don't listen to all of those things. So I also try to take a realistic approach, right, to the patient. Like if I'm like, don't eat gluten, I wouldn't, I'm eating gluten until I die. So <laughs> that's not going to happen. Generally, what I say is like, right, I don't even comment about omega-3s because I know that if the patient's taking the right nutraceutical, you don't need to take it in your diet. Your body's getting everything that you need. Mm-hmm. If a patient says to me, I don't want to take a nutraceutical. I eat a lot of fish. I tell them you have to eat salmon every single meal of every single day for you to get those levels. No one's doing that. Even if you like fish, you're not eating it that much. Mm -hmm. So I usually try to take a very like simplistic approach because I think that's better for patients. Mm -hmm. I also do not have my patients on a very like rigorous home regimen because it's not, it's, I'm not going to tell them to do something that I don't think is going to work. Yeah. Right. And I have to be realistic in terms of compliance, like if they're not going to do it. So I really try to only tell them to do the things that I'm like, we need to do this because of this. And this is important. I don't give them that much homework. Mm -hmm. It's usually just take your omega-3 pills. Okay. And then if they're doing IPL, having a mineral based sunscreen, which is different from a chemical based sunscreen. So that's another topic. Yeah. I didn't um, even think about that. um, I know it's, I'm t- this is why my consults are so long because there's <laughs> there's so much disinformation. But really, in terms of like diet, if I had to tell a patient, you know, anything that's inflammatory, like if you can try to just be mindful of gluten and alcohol for me are probably my biggest inflammatory factors because I like to have beer on the weekend. Um, I'm not going to give that up. So that's what I'm going to do. And the other thing that's just really simple is processed food. So if you wouldn't find it, let's rewind. 2000 years ago when we're don't have technology, don't have whatever, don't have food processing. Would you find this thing in nature, right? If you would find it in nature naturally, right? Like vegetables, beans, um, meat, even like those things are natural to the earth. That is probably good for you. The things that are like, you know, Doritos, I like Doritos too, but like that's, you wouldn't find that in nature. So that's going to be probably not so good for you. So not saying that you can't eat it, but those are just kind of like easy things to go by, I guess. Rules of thumb. Definitely. And I actually am gluten-free and people ask like, how do you do that? And I go, well, I, I, I literally just eat real food. Like if I eat real food, if I eat meat, if I eat fruits, if I eat vegetables, some dairy I can do now, but like, I'm just eating real food. If you just Mm -hmm. eat real food, you really don't have to worry Mm -hmm. too much about gluten. You know, when I do go out to eat, like you have spices and things, you got to be mindful of that, but just eat real food. Just eat real food. (laughs) It's just hard. And like, again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I only eat real food. I don't, but, um, if that, you know, every small thing, you know, and you have to be realistic about that. Like I have 30 something years that I've been eating what I want to eat for me, my dry eyes under control. It's not really advancing. So like, that's a decision that I've made, but I think it's important to talk about diet because I don't think that every patient, you know, or even practitioner talks about that or knows that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. 
Oh my goodness. This is so much good information. Okay. So, um, (laughs) I do have a couple questions. So first off, I think I know the answer to this, but I am going to ask you, how has your life improved as a result of dry eye? If you saw me (laughs) two years ago, I was like miserable. I like to say that some of it was like mature growth, but also it's outlook on life and how I feel. Part of that is because my eyes are feeling better. And part of it is now because I come to a practice every day that I want to be at, that I, I feel called to do. I think I'm pretty good at it. And then just that it's so underserved. So I feel like now I'm popping out of bed and I'm like, all right, let's go. Like, let's get these patients. And I only see maximum six patients in a day because Again, my appointments are so long. I have to have the emotional capacity to be compassionate till my last patient of that day. So I know that it's like five is really great for me. I'll squeeze in a six if I have to, but I really try to stay at five. But I think that dry eye, like when a patient starts to get relief, especially the ones we talked about that maybe they're not that symptomatic, like, oh, they're, you know, if you take your contacts out and you're like, oh, you have dry eye disease. (laughs) Okay. That's not a normal feeling. Um, but they've been conditioned or they've been doing that for so many years that that's just what it is. But I had a patient specifically, so she had LASIK done and she knew that she had like some dryness. She had that, like, you know, I want to get my contact lens out. She wanted to get LASIK. And I said, okay, you can do it. You're not crazy inflamed. We knew the risk factors of her getting LASIK. She got it. Then she came in to see me, fixed up her dry eye. Hers was not bad, but she was there. She's in her mid fifties, she's like high up in a company. She's on the computer all day. And she left me a nice review that was just like, I didn't know that my eyes were feeling so bad until they were feeling so good. So it was like, those are the things that like inspire me to be like, yeah, let's get this. And like, let's get this information out there for patients to at least have options. Definitely. And I mean, truly that, that makes me take a lot of steps back and think, you know, yes, I had this chemical injury. Yes, I have like, I feel like Mm -hmm. it spearheaded the dry eye. But if I'm being honest with Mm -hmm. myself, Mm -hmm. going back further, yeah, when I took my contacts out, it it felt like they were breathing, you know? And there Mm -hmm. were times where you'd Mm -hmm. wake up in the morning and like, oh, they just didn't, it just didn't feel right. Or before bed, you know, I mean- And I think that is some of the information out there that the information that needs to get out there because Mm -hmm. even so many people I know wear contacts and I'll talk to them and talk about dry eye and none of them, they all go, no, I don't have that. But even my sister last week, she was at the house. She was like, man, my eyes are bothering me. I just need to put these drops in and she wears contacts. And I'm like, you know, like, I'm not going to be the one to like, be like, Hey, you actually have this, but like, that's really important and really powerful. It is. Yeah. And I always like, if somebody asks me, right, I'm never going to make that person. I'm not going to criticize them. It's their choice, right? It's their body. They can decide if they think, but I, I think that people, like you said, regret certain decisions because when I see somebody in and they have like nubbins of glands and there's not a lot and they hear this could have, you know, we should have done this 
decades ago and image this and this would be different, you would have a better outcome. I don't think that people that are in that mild or denial stage or they don't, you know, lack of information stage realize what it can become. But when you get to there, you can't go backwards. So that's another point of my patient education. I was like, we don't have to do anything. I just want you to have all the information so that you can make the best decision for yourself. Right. But we know that if these glands are left untreated, they're going to continue to die. Like that's guaranteed. That's not a guess. That's a guarantee. Right. You know, at what rate? We don't know. It could be decades, but it could be a year. And like you said, there's things that you don't account for. A chemical injury. Who knows? Something else could happen. They could have unplanned eye surgery. Those are all things that are going to make it worse. Yes, exactly. Now, um, man, I really wish that I lived closer to you and I might have to make a trip <laughs> to so Little sorry. Rock, Arkansas at some point. You're welcome. <laughs> But you're well, welcome anytime. <laughs> well, thank you. But um, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Sure. So I think I'm the most active on Instagram. So my handle is N-O-H underscore E-Y-E-S. No eyes. I try to make those videos kind of like my patients will sometimes follow me and I'm like, you guys already know all the information because we have discussed it. So they, I really try to make that for people who maybe are scrolling and like, they're like, Oh, I feel that. Or like, you know, I'll say like these, if your eye doctor is telling you these things and that's it, like maybe you should consider a second opinion somewhere, you know, just to empower other people or especially down here in the South, like people are very loyal to their practitioners like they've been going to them forever and ever and ever and like whatever that doctor said is that's the word and that's it and so they sometimes have like guilt or I don't know embarrassment I don't know they are like scared to get another opinion because that's not what their doctor said but I'm like your doctor might be telling you to use baby shampoo and I'm not when patients tell me that I'm like I believe you I believe you that your doctor told you that, but I'm telling you right now, you have to stop because that's killing your meibomian gland. So I'm like, if you have an eye doctor that tells you to use baby shampoo, you better run because they do not know. That's not new news. Like literally a patient should just be using water because at least that's, you know, neutral. Baby right. shampoo kills your meibomian gland. Do not do that. Wow. And you see that so prevalent on these, uh, these community pages sometimes, you know? Who knew? Yes. <laughs> I hope everybody. <laughs> now they know. Now they know. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. 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 Well, Dr. No, thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate it. And I love this information. I feel like we're going to have to talk again um, at some point and keep this going. But Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for having me.